Peace be with you. And it's a, it's a joy for me and my wife, Chelsea, which is back there, to be with you guys this morning. Um, it has been a while since we, we've worshiped with you guys, and so we're, we're excited to be here. And um, so we thank you for uh, the hospitality already. Uh, I love gathering with you guys. Um, for those of you who, who may not know who I am, I know uh, Taylor mentioned, but uh, I'm Carlos, and I'm a church planting resident at Sojourn Montrose, and my wife and I, uh, by God's grace, are looking to plant in the near future uh, a new local expression of God's church in East End Houston. Uh, and for those of you who may not know where that is or have uh, no idea uh, where that is, just, just east of downtown, a bit further into the neighborhood is where we live, um, an area called Second Ward, uh, is where we're looking to plant uh, by God's grace uh, in the near future this coming year. So we'd appreciate you guys' prayers uh, for us as we, as we continue getting closer to that, um, to that launch of, of, of this future church. But before we dive in, let me, let me pray for us. Again, we ask God that you be with us as, as, as Taylor prayed, and, I, and, I, and I, I come before you, and we come before you as your people, uh, acknowledging and recognizing, Lord, our weaknesses and our inabilities to, uh, to listen to you unless the Spirit opens up our hearts and our minds. And so we ask you that your Spirit would be, uh, through the power of your word, Illuminate our hearts and encourage us, convict, exhort, strengthen your people this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So um, as, as you heard, right, the, the text that was read, we've been in a series throughout all of our sojourn churches uh, through the books of Samuel, right? First and second Samuel. This morning we actually finish first Samuel, but uh, we've been in, in these books that tell a story of the rise and the reign of King David. However, we're, we're reading this story through the lens of uh, the life and the ministry of, of King Jesus, right? Through this series, we've been exploring how the Bible kind of invites us into um, seeing Jesus as the subject of, of ancient prophecy and also the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. And, and how can we be sure of that? How, how do we know, maybe you're in here and saying, how, how, how can you prove that? How do we know that Ancient prophecy, the Old Testament, points to Jesus. Well, Jesus said it himself in Luke 24, in verse 27. He said that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the, the Torah, right, the, the Old Testament scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then in John 5, 39, he says clearly that the Old Testament, the Torah, bears witness about him. And, and then in verse 46 of that same chapter, he says that it was about him that Moses wrote about. So, so in light of this truth, we're going to continue and really close out this first book of Samuel uh, with that in mind. So uh, let's begin. But I, I want to start by asking you guys a question. Maybe this has happened to you. Um, have you ever worked at a, at a certain job and, and you've had a coworker who, man, you, you look up to this coworker. Maybe you trust him even more than your supervisor. You, as you look at your supervisor, uh, you realize that your supervisor is, is shaky and shady, and uh, you can't really put a lot of trust in him, but your coworker seems to be the one that should be in that position. Because whenever you ask a question, you, you go to this coworker, 
instead of your supervisor. I, I've been in that position before. Um, and, and, and it was almost like uh, I was expecting one day for him to eventually take the place of my supervisor that uh, unfortunately was unreliable. Um, and even though his position was, was equal to mine, uh, I looked up to him and saw him because of his integrity and his competency, uh, looked up more to him than the one who actually had the official position um, as my supervisor. And as we, as we look once again, we see a, a stark contrast between David, a man who wasn't king, and we see a man in Saul who was king. Uh, we see them contrasted. We, we, we kind of get a glimpse of that idea here in the story of David and Saul. But we'll see something uh, similar here. We'll see that the life, we'll see a life of a man with no official royal status yet, although he had been promised by God and anointed as future king. Fight his battles with trust in God. Inquire of the Lord for direction. While we see the man who was his superior, Saul, the king, trusting in himself, at times forcing things out of his own flesh and ultimately being defeated at the hand of his enemies. Now, before we jump into uh, kind of the main theme of these two uh, chapters, I, I want to give us some context up to this point just to kind of give us an idea of where we're at right now. And so last week, um, we were in chapter 24, right? And in chapter 24, we heard about uh, David's great submission to uh, God's authority as God had established it, even though it meant that he honored and respected the position that, that Saul held, even though it was this very man that was seeking to take his life, right? And he, uh, and he showed this great honor and respect, not yes to Saul, but more so to the, man, I mean, to, to the one who had placed this man in authority, which was, which was God. And we got a glimpse uh, once again last week of that contrast between David and Saul. David, a man of humility, trust and fear of God, and Saul, a man who feared the people more than he feared God and trusted in himself more than he trusted in God. And then a general summary, kind of chapters 25 and 29, we, we see once again uh, David sparing Saul's life. We hear of the, the death of Samuel, the prophet, and then we see in, in, in maybe an ill-advised move um, after that second time that David spares Saul's life, fear feel, fills his heart. And he says to himself, um, I, I need to flee because Saul's going to overtake me and kill me. And so, and so we see him um, leave and flee to the Philistines, to the land of the Philistines, where, he, where, where, where Scripture, I, I would highly encourage you to go back and read those chapters. They're beautiful. Uh, but it says that he's in the land of the Philistines for about a year and four months, so about a year and a half, out of this fear that, that, that led him to, to flee from Saul. But in, in, in a providential turn of events, David uh, receives a, a subtle display of God's uh, mercy. Some of the lords of the Philistines, as they were getting set to, to fight against the people of Israel, against Saul and his armies, um, rejected David, even though David had kind of earned his, his stripes, so to speak, with the Philistines. One of the lords in the Philistine army trusted him, but the rest didn't, and so they sent him back to his town that they had given him, only to come 
back to this town of Ziklag, uh, finding it plummeted by a tribe of enemies. And so we see David and his people, his warriors wail and grieve and mourn. And this is where we, 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 we then come to this uh, text here in, in, in chapter 30, verse 6. It says that David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter, bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters that they had lost. But David, it says at the end of verse 6, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And this is what leads us into our text this morning. This morning, we'll see that as Saul, who uh, we could say represents life in the flesh, is filled with fear, is overtaken and ultimately killed. David, we could say, represents the life in the spirit, trusts in the Lord, prospers and is victorious, ultimately victorious in battle. And as we dive into this story, I, I believe we can learn something and glean from it something that we um, need so desperately in our day and age. I believe we can learn from this text that we can be free from both fear and entitlement because Jesus secured God's presence for us. That we can be free from fear and entitlement because Jesus secured God's presence for us. And, and some of the questions that may even be rising up in your heart right now are something like this. Why, why particularly fear and entitlement? Or how does God's presence being secured by Jesus free me from them? Or why is this so important for me today? So we'll dive in uh, to our text to, to, to see the answer to these questions. Let me begin again by reading uh, verses 7 through 8 in chapter 30. It says this. It says, and David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord. And he, and he asked the Lord this, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, God, answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. And so here, uh, David, right after having gotten back, as, as, as we already stated, to Ziklag and seeing his town plummeted, deeply grieved by what he saw, goes immediately to God's presence and asks for direction. And ask God, what do I do next? Do I go after them or do I just let it be? And he hears God respond to him, telling him to pursue. And God assures him, promises him that he will indeed overtake this tribe, these, these enemies who have plummeted his town and that he will rescue his people. I want to give us a, to give us a greater picture, the contrast um, in the life of Saul in chapter 28, 4 through 7 and 17 through 20. I'll read it for us. It says about Saul, the Philistines assembled and came in and camped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw that the army of the Philistines, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium. 
that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Then beginning in verse 17, The Lord has done to you, after, so after Saul inquires of this medium, or essentially a psychic, she asked him, she, he asked her to, 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 to call Samuel's spirit back so he can ask Samuel a question. What, what do I do next? And he does that. And, and the only thing that the Lord allows him to hear are some pretty uh, grim words. But let me continue reading. He says, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. So while we see while God's presence continued with David, while God assured David, I will be with you, I assured David, go and overtake your enemies and you will end up saving your people. To Saul, there was silence, so much so that he had to find another way to find some form of word, which tells me at least that ultimately Saul was really just using God as a means to an end and not trying to actually seek God for himself. Because when, we, when he heard silence, he said, well, let me, go, let me go find a medium, which by the way, he had just casted them out. And there he goes back seeking a medium for a word. Because what he wanted was, was just simply that, a word, and not God himself. So while Saul was paralyzed by fear and despair, a man rejected by God, David experienced mercy, received a word from, from God, and grew in trust. Oh, we, know, we know David wasn't perfect in all of his dealings either, though, right? We, we, we do see him fearing and, and, and essentially fleeing to the territory of the Philistines, right? Yet, yet God's presence never left him out of sheer mercy because of God's simple and sure promise to him. It was mercy rooted in this promise that God had given to David. See, David had no need to fear because God had promised him that he would inherit the throne one day and that his throne would be occupied forever by his offspring. God's presence to David would never leave him. So David had no need to fear as opposed to Saul who had been rejected. So Saul representing this life in the flesh, is that enmity with God. And we're reminded of that in Romans 8, where it says uh, that for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Saul was setting his mind on the flesh and earned the just 
penalty for that, which was death. But we see the opposite with David, right? We see uh, David, um, who we will say represents, again, the life lived in the spirit of God. We see a man who, weak as he may have been at times, seeking the will of God, asking for God's instruction, and receiving a word from him, assuring him this victory. And then as we, as we move on in this kind of this narrative, we see that um, as he's inquiring of the Lord, shall I go? And God says, yes. In God's uh, subtle providence that we see in between the lines, uh, randomly, right, quote, unquote, randomly, an Egyptian shows up. And they feed him when he's finally able to speak. They're like, where are you, where are you coming from? And, and he's like, I, I'm actually a servant of one of the Amalekites. Um, and, and so then David ends up finding out that it was them, it was the Amalekites that plummeted his town and took his people captive. And so in a, in, in, in a gracious and merciful display of God's provision, uh, gives David uh, this Egyptian man to lead him into the direction where this tribe was. And they go, and, and, and we see here that David defeats them, just like God had promised, right? And David, David takes, together with his uh, soldiers, with his warriors, takes the spoils, takes all of the, all of the things that, uh, that, that, that belonged to the Amalekites, and they secured this spoil. And then after they... Uh, finish there, the, the 400 men that went with him when they go back and meet these other 200 men that we read about that stayed behind because they were exhausted. We see them say something here that I want to point out to us. These men here say to the 200 men, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But, but listen to what David said to them in response. He says, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. So we see, we see Saul, an example of fear, a life lived in the flesh. And then, and then we, we see something particular here in the men in these in these. Uh, the Bible calls them wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David. We see them respond with entitlement. We see them respond saying, the spoils we have secured are for us because we put in the work. These men that stayed behind, they don't deserve any of the spoils because we are the ones that went out to battle, totally forgetting that it was God that had secured the victory for them. It was God that had given the Amalekites into their hand. And David had uh, the right perspective, right? David uses different language here in reference to the spoil uh, that we need to notice. He, he calls the spoil what the Lord has given us. 
In other words, David had the right view of the battle and of the spoil. He was well aware that it was all given to him by the mercy of the Lord, that he didn't earn or deserve any of it. Maybe he's even remembering that not too long ago, brothers and sisters, he in fear had fled to the camp of the Philistines and was about to head into battle against his very people. But God in his mercy removed him from that situation. Have you ever been in a situation where you have tried either through fear or or through just simply wanting your own way, found yourself in a position or in a situation or in a season where you say, how did I get here? Like, who will get me out of this situation that I've gotten myself in? And even, even though you may have gone wayward for a bit, God in his mercy, as we sung about earlier, leaves the 99 and says, I'll go search for that hundredth sheep. My mercy is tenacious. My mercy is stubborn even. I will go for you and take you out of the mess that you've made of yourself. But brothers, I can almost, I can almost imagine that, that David was remembering that mercy that had rescued him from that plight, from that situation of, of going against his own people of Israel into battle. And so he responds with a grateful heart, a heart of a recipient, not a, not a heart of someone who felt entitled because he put in the work. And so because of the promise of God's presence rooted in mercy in David, there was no room for entitlement in his heart. In the life of David, we see him overcome fear and reject the feelings of entitlement because of God's promises to him, which were rooted ultimately in mercy. So if, if, if we see David as an example of of, of, of overcoming fear and rejecting entitlement, right? Some might begin to end the sermon here by, by calling us to just be more like David, right? To see David as our example. Look at how David overcame fear. Look at how David rejected entitlement. Therefore, don't be afraid and don't be entitled. But, but that would ignore the fact that even he himself was not perfect. We see eventually we see first that he did fear, and then eventually he would become comfortable and entitled and fall into grievous sin. So we can't look at David as our perfect example. That's because we don't just need an example, right? We don't just need a good example, brothers and sisters. We need a substitute. The reality is, if we're all honest, if I'm honest, we still experience fear that's birthed out of a lack of trust in God's mercy and God's providence and God's time and time again, his evidences of faithfulness to us. And the reality is that because we're all sinners and still have a legalistic tendency in our heart, when things are going well, when we feel that we um, have a leg up, we begin to feel is that we've earned something, feel entitled. I deserve this, I deserve that. I've... 
We still struggle with these, with these sins, with these feelings of fear and entitlement. And so to simply say that we need to try harder to not fear, to not feel entitled, ignores what I mentioned at the beginning, that we can be free from these things because of someone else's works, not because of ours, not because of our greater efforts, but because of Jesus securing through his works God's eternal presence for us and God's eternal approval of us in him. This means we can be free from fear and from entitlement because Jesus has done the work to make sure that that God never leaves us. Brothers and sisters, if you have trusted in Christ and you're here this morning, you've repented and placed your faith in him, no amount of waywardness, no amount of stubbornness in your sin can ultimately cause God to give up on you, can ultimately cause to reject you like Saul. Now, of course, we, we know that a life of a true Christian will bear fruit and we will see holiness growing in the life of a Christian that we know. But if we're all honest here, we all have uh, struggles. We all still fight sin. We all still at times feel despair or feel broken and trodden down by not only the weight of our own brokenness, but the weight of the brokenness around us. And we need that constant reminder that God doesn't give up on his people, not because you're good enough, but because Jesus' perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection has been credited to you. If we ourselves try to earn or maintain God's presence and approval through our good works and we fail at it, we're doomed to fall into the pit of despair and become paralyzed with fear, much like Saul. But to the type A people in the room, I'm not one of them. If we feel, if we feel we're really good at being good, we'll become full of ourselves and feel entitled to things God has chosen to give us by sheer mercy. We don't just need an example, as I said, of how not to fear and not to feel entitled. We need this substitute, Jesus, who has done this perfectly in our place so that trusting in the substitute's perfect works, we can be assured of God's presence, trusting that he will never leave us nor forsake us as he promised his people. As we've heard um, time and time again, as we've been in this series in the book of Samuel, brothers, I, I don't come bringing you a new solution or a new answer. I, I can't. There's nothing new here. There's nothing newer or a better solution to our plight than this substitute, Jesus, in his life, in his, in his death on the cross, on your behalf and on my behalf, and on his powerful resurrection that secured your right standing with with God the Father. David was merely an arrow pointing to the perfect and true substitute, to the perfect and true eternal king who would one day, as we read about in the Gospels, would come to save his people from their sins. 
See, in Jesus, we, we have a Savior who, instead of leading the troops out to battle to earn the victory, much like David, over his enemies, he himself chose to lay his life down and die as a sinner like Saul in our place. Because apart from grace, we, we are Saul. Apart from God's intervention, we would be in the pit of despair. We would hear rejected of God. We would seek and seek and there would be no word. But in Christ, under the son of David, Jesus, the, the eternal king, God has given us his approval, his acceptance, his presence, because it was earned by Jesus laying his life down on the battlefield of that cross and saying, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you would never hear rejected and forsaken of God. So brothers and sisters, if you at times fear that God has given up on you, you're submitting yourself under the wrong representative, Saul. Saul trusted in himself, lived life according to the flesh, feared the rejection of men more than the rejection of God, and got what was coming to him, death and destruction. But we must remind ourselves that, that we're not under Saul, right? But under the greater David, Jesus, who came to take away the sins that we could, so that we could be united with him for all of eternity. So how does, this, how does this look for us today, though, right? What does this look like with boots on the ground today? How can I live this out Monday morning, pastor? Right? Well, because Jesus, who secured God's presence and approval for us, this means that, that we have a potent weapon against something, brothers and sisters, that plagues our current society today, anxiety and depression. We have, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul that when we look at ourselves and see that we don't measure up, when we walk through the darkest and toughest seasons of life, knowing that um, if we have trusted in Christ and are his disciple, then we can, we, we can rejoice in the fact that even through our pain, and suffering and darkness because Jesus has gone through a kind of pain, suffering, and, and darkness that we will never experience. He's a sympathetic high priest who can walk with us through that suffering and bring us out on the other side untouched. Because as I stated already, God in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, on that cross was separated from the Father so that we would never be separated from him. And we hear, we hear the heart behind his agony when he prays and, 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 and sweats drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, when he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, but, but not my will, but yours be done. And he goes up to the cross and, and gives up himself in our place. 
Jesus agonized in prayer, but also on the cross, suffering the wrath of God so that we would never have to experience one drop of it. I can't imagine being in the place of Saul, brothers and sisters, where he tried to seek for a word and there was no word. And when he finally went outside of the bounds of God's law to try to hear a word, all he heard was rejected. All he heard was, you will die. But in Christ, we hear, you will live. We hear, you have been accepted. We hear, not on the basis of your righteousness do I accept you, but on the basis of your older brother, Jesus, that you now are accepted forever. We can remind ourselves that As it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22, that all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So this means that no matter on the flip side, right, we've talked a lot about fear, but on the flip side, this means that as well for those who, who, who struggle with entitlement, no matter how many degrees you may have had, no matter how many promotions or no matter how much recognition you may receive at your workplace because of the good work that you do, we can be humble, receive it all with praise and thanksgiving to God that God has given us all these things by, by sheer mercy. And this should humble us to the lowest degree, make us desperately cling to him and make us respond like David did to these wicked and worthless men that were among him. Brothers and sisters, why should we do these things? With the things that the Lord has given to us, not the things that I have earned by my but my good works. And it's not to say that we don't honor, right, the, 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 the hard labor. God honors that and God is pleased with hard and heavy labor that we do for his glory. But it gets us in trouble when we think that because of our hard labor, we somehow are deserving of something, right? We know how truly dependent we are on God by, by looking at how much time we spend in prayer on our knees, how much time we spend enjoying God's word and how much he permeates our conversations with others. And, and I, as, as the one preaching this message this morning, am not excluded from that and being convicted by that as well. But again, because God will never forsake his saints and because God's mercy is so stubborn that it follows and pursues us, we can have peace knowing that God will complete the work that he started in you and me. He will fulfill his promise to ultimately glorify us and have us reign with Christ one day. So brothers and sisters, all of us here can be reminded that we can trust God during seasons marked by waiting by suffering, by loss, even by disillusionment. 
because we know that the work that he began, he'll bring to completion. And we can also look at all the things that we have, not as spoil from our battles that we've won, but rather as gifts that God has given to us out of sheer mercy. We can be free, brothers and sisters, by the power of the Spirit, from fear and entitlement because Jesus has secured God's presence for you and for me. Father, we are very aware that the moment that we walk out of this building, the enemy is waiting and crouching at the door to cause us to forget that we are accepted and beloved by you because of the work of Jesus. He might even at this very moment be throwing things in our face and say, but not me, because if, if you knew what I've done, if you knew the places I've been, if you knew the things that I've looked at, you wouldn't be saying this about me. Well, the, the reality that we praise you for, Father, is that it is not a man saying these things to us, but it is your word by your spirit declaring to us that we are accepted on the basis of Christ, not on our own good works. May that produce in us greater victory over our sin. May that produce in us greater joy found in your presence. We pray this in Christ's name.